Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church of Murfreesboro. It is an honor and privilege to share this time with you. We love studying the scriptures and feel they are central to our preaching, teaching, and living of the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel. Our mission here is to grow disciples of Jesus Christ who know him, love him, and serve him for the transformation of Murfreesboro and the world. It is our prayer that God would use our preaching and teaching to do exactly that. If you have questions, thoughts, ideas, or just want to talk a little bit more about what you've heard today, we love to hear from you. Most of all, know that you are in our prayers as we listen together. Now, let's dive in. Good morning. Um, if we haven't met, my name is Sally Millsap, and I'm the pastor of Disciples in Action here at First United Methodist Church, and I'm excited um, to bring the word to you this morning. Uh, our scripture today um, comes from the book of Acts, uh, and so let us hear the word of God. During the night, Paul had a vision. There stood a man in Macedonia pleading with him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision, we immediately tried to cross over to Macedonia, being convinced that God had called us to proclaim the good news to them. Therefore, we set sail from Troas and took a straight course to Samothrace, the following day to Neapolis, and then there to Philippi, which is the leading city in the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city for some days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate by the river, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who were gathered there. A certain woman named Lydia, a worshiper of God, was listening to us. She was from the city of Thyatira <laughs> and a dealer of purple cloth. The Lord opened her heart to listen to us eagerly to what Paul had to say. When she and her household were baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my home. And she prevailed upon us. Let's go to God in prayer. Creator, Redeemer, Sustainer, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen. So as humans, uh, we are interested in learning about ourselves and others, and this helps us um, develop all sorts of tools to um, uh, understand each other, and um, we have a lot of them um, to help us understand personalities and dispositions. Um, several months ago, um, our clergy and staff here at FUMC uh, took the Clifton Strengths Finder by Gallup. 
Now, my guess is many of you have taken either the Strengths Finder or Myers Briggs or Enneagram. Has anybody done one of those before? Yes, yes, we all have. Um, and it helps us learn about ourselves and, and how we interact with our family and our colleagues. Um, and to be honest with you, I was not that shocked by what we learned from our staffs. Clifton StrengthsFinder. Um, so I'll give you a couple of examples. Empathy and restorative. Um, if any of you have been around Reverend Chrysalyn Durham, I think those words sound just like her. Um, if uh, you hear the words communication and belief, I think those describe Jackson Henry well. Uh, Reverend Drew Shelley scored high in strengths of developer, includer, and woo. Now, you may not know what woo stands for. I'm going to let you go look that up. Um, but that really does get at the heart of who uh, Drew is as our senior pastor. And my mama would say um, that I was born a learner and I have possessed the strength of responsibility since the beginning of time. Um, that's just who I am. Um, the company who manages um, data um, for the Strengths Finder was started by a gentleman by the name of George Gallup. Now, Gallup was a very famous statistician and pollster, and I think Gallup actually asked a more profound set of questions in the early 1990s when he asked people if they had ever experienced a vision from God. Half of those he polled said yes, and an even higher percentage of clergy said yes. I found this to be very interesting um, because that's just not something I find us discussing um, in our regular discourse here at the church or outside of church. Um, so in a devotional I read um, as I prepared to talk about the scripture today from Acts, David Forney says, we don't talk about our visions from God and we maybe do that for good reason. Because if we talk openly about God's involvement in our lives, we do not get to control the plan. On the other hand, if we share our visions from God, we might find ourselves with open hearts that are readily to receive the gospel that will forever change us and others. So our scripture today is evidence of the power of visions um, from God, as described by David Forney. Uh, Paul, a once zealot um, who persecuted Christians, um, had a traumatic transformation on the road to Emmaus that blinded him, now has a vision from God that he should go and preach the good news of Jesus Christ to the people of Macedonia. Now, let me set the scene a little better for you. God is not asking Paul to take a short journey to the Jewish community that is just next door. Um, God is asking Paul and his companions to go to Philippi, which is a 250-mile journey by land, or a two-day journey across the Aegean Sea, as described in the scriptures. This was actually going to be the first time that the gospel of Jesus Christ was moving outside the lands of Judea and Samaria. 
this was a big ask. And as I read it, Paul doesn't question this vision. He doesn't crowdsource it on whether he should go or not. Our scripture says that Paul and the other Christians traveled immediately to Philippi. After they arrived, Sabbath came. Paul and his companions had only been in Philippi a short time, and they needed to find a place to worship. They found a place of prayer by the river where a group of women were gathered. This is the first time Paul and his companions encountered Lydia. Now, our scriptures describe Lydia in three ways, and each is significant. She is a worshiper of God. She is from the city of Thyatria, and she is a dealer in purple cloth. The author of Acts includes each of these descriptions of Lydia to give us insight into her life and God's unfolding story. As a worshiper of God, this could also be translated as a God-fearer. Scholarly literature debates whether this description of Lydia indicates that she is a Roman or Greek woman who had actually converted to the Jewish faith. But most resources on this passage of scripture simply refer to Lydia as a Gentile. But it is even clearer um, that Lydia is not um, uh, ethnically Jewish. She is a Gentile um, because she worshiped with God and the Jewish people. From the city of Thyatria, um, this is an ancient Greek city in what is modern-day Turkey. And the ethnic group in this city where um, it is being referred to were the Lydians. Um, and this may actually be the origin of Lydia's name, again, supporting that she was not Jewish by birth. Finally, Lydia was a dealer in purple cloth and was most likely the head of her household, an independent businesswoman who interacted with the wealthy and elite of Philippi in the commerce of that day. Now, God tells us that um, Lydia's heart was opened to hear the good news of Jesus Christ that Paul and his companions shared. Lydia and her entire household were baptized. By listening and honoring his vision from God, Paul had opened hearts to love Jesus and led a very unique recipient to hear the message. Lydia, a Gentile, a businesswoman with significant autonomy, resources, and independence. Most scholars agree that Lydia was indeed the first convert to Christianity recorded outside of the lands of Judea and Samaria in what is considered to be modern-day Europe. Lydia responds to the love that she experiences as a new believer by offering her home and her resources to sustain Paul and the other Christian missionaries as they continue to spread the good news. 
Her home becomes a place of refuge. Later in Acts, we read that Paul and Silas are actually thrown into jail. And God's vision um, led Paul to Lydia, and um, she is the place that they go um, after they um, get out of jail. And she truly becomes a critical figure in the early Christian movement. As I prepared to share for today, I went down a rabbit hole of stories about Christians who had had profound visions that changed their lives and changed others. And my favorite story was of a little girl named Mary, um, because Mary has a connection to this congregation. Mary was born to freed slaves in 1875 in South Carolina, one of 17 children. By age nine, she was able to pick 250 pounds of cotton a day. After the Civil War, um, many church mission boards opened up schools for children of color, and Mary benefited from this effort by attending a school founded by the Presbyterian Church. She later attended, attended Scotia Seminary um, in North Carolina, graduating at age 19. Mary began to have a reoccurring dream. So this is her dream. Educator Booker T. Washington was on horseback, carrying a handkerchief. He'd open it to reveal a diamond, saying, take this and build your school. Mary, like Paul, took her vision very seriously and acted on it. Mary began raising funds for a school for African-American girls in Florida, keeping the money in the handkerchief to remind her of the vision of God. In 1904, Mary McLeod Bethune opened her school, which later became Bethune-Cookman University. And Bethune-Cookman University is one of 11 historically black colleges that was founded with the help of and continues to be supported by the United Methodist Church. First United Methodist Church in Murfreesboro in a small but mighty way is continuing God's vision that he gave Mary to educate God's beloved children. As I reflect on our scripture today and Mary Bethune's vision, I think God is reminding us of something. First, we all have strengths. God, Paul's profound conversion experience propelled him to share the good news of Jesus with everyone that he met. Lydia's fierce independence gave her the courage to share her home and assets with missionaries to allow them to spread the gospel. Mary Bethune had a clarity of focus that she was called to educate little girls, and Bethune-Cookman University continues to offer college education to a diverse student body today. Your clergy staff and um, everyone at this church had strengths and talents that led our congregation in the last two years as we navigated a pandemic. What are your strengths? You have them. God uniquely gifted them to you. No one was left out. Second, if God speaks into our hearts 
through what our scripture calls a vision in the form of a dream, a small whisper, words from another person. We are called to listen, to not be afraid to share, and then act on that vision. Just as I mentioned earlier, if we don't share openly about God's involvement in our lives, we are essentially telling everyone around us that we are in control and that God is not. What witness do you want to portray? A witness to the world that you listen to God and feel comfortable sharing what God has to say? Or a witness devoid of God that leads others to think that you're you're steering the ship of your own life? Our church, um, three years ago, actually spent some time discerning our vision. Um, And we listened um, to what God was saying to us. So here's a couple of highlights from our vision. First United Methodist Church would be touching the lives of 2,000 people with the good news of Jesus Christ across six to seven worship services a week. We see thousands of disciples of Jesus engaged in a life-changing missional discipleship here in Murfreesboro and across the world. We see a hopeful church that knows what it is to be God's beloved children set to work in God's unfolding new creation. Our church will be baptizing 100 new Christians each year. We actually get to baptize one this morning, which is really exciting. First Methodist is leading the community and involved in solving some of society's most significant problems. And we are a church that is alive, vibrant, relevant, generating life, love, and hope in the name of Jesus. We are called to live into this vision now. And we want you to be a part of it and invite others to see. And our reward is that by acknowledging our strengths and listening to God and sharing what God has to say and living into our call on our hearts, that new people will become to find the hope of the good news of Jesus Christ. I saw this hope recently on display during one of our prayer walks on Holy Week. On Good Friday, we partnered with the students at the Wesley Foundation at Middle Tennessee State University to plan a prayer walk at MTSU. The students at Wesley led us in a time of devotion and centering before we embarked um, into campus to pray. As your staff began to plan Holy Week, we felt God was calling us to be in the community for prayer during this sacred season in our liturgical calendar. We listened. Reverend Henry, with some input from staff and community members, created spaces for us to pray in and for our community. The students from the Wesley Foundation used their strengths and knowledge of the community of MTSU to lead us in a deeply meaningful worship experience. On the day where we as Christians acknowledge Christ's death on the cross, a day where Jesus' disciples thought all hope was lost. I found hope walking around a college campus with a group of multi-generational people who believed what I believed. And we prayed for hope for us and for others to come to know Christ. May we go from this place today and let God show us our strengths, 
to listen to God for vision in our lives and share the hope that can only be found in Jesus Christ to a hurting and broken world.